Good morning. morning. It's good to be here. It is good to gather, whether it's here in person or electronically, um, in order to worship our Lord, our God. Um, Just a couple of announcements. If I have talked to you and you have expressed interest in the new members class, please um, either see me after service or make contact with me this week so we can make plans for that um, going ahead. And then, uh, once again, just a reminder, we are still looking for a treasurer for next year and moving forward. So please keep that in mind and be praying about that opportunity. Are there any other announcements today? All right, if not, our call to worship comes from Psalm chapter 17, the first two verses and then dropping down to verses 6 through 9. Hear, O Lord, my righteous plea. Listen to my cry. Give ear to my prayer. It does not rise from deceitful lips. May my vindication come from you. May your eyes see what is right. I call on you, O God, for you will answer me. Give ear to me and hear my prayer. Show the wonder of your great love, you who save by your right hand, those who take refuge in you from their foes. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who assail me, from my mortal enemies who surround me. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we are here today at your call. We have answered that call to worship you and to be reminded that you do hear our prayer, to be reminded that you do vindicate us, and to be reminded that where our lips of prayer falter, Our Lord and Savior has spoken truly deceitful, uh, lack of, uh, indeceitfully. He has spoken truly honestly. He has brought our prayers to you as our intercessor. And Lord, so please be honored by our presence today and take our worship from us and add to it the perfect worship of our Savior so that it might be that, that sweet-smelling incense to you. So, Lord, we do continue to pray as you have taught us. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. God is our keeper. God does take our stumbling, stammering prayers and accepts them and hears them and answers them. And so let's be reminded of the fact that we are kept by God by singing Bible song number 29. Uh, God, our keeper. So let us stand and sing.
Please be seated. We are reminded that we are the ones with deceitful lips and are thankful for a Savior who forgives sins. And so let us bow our heads and listen as we pray the prayer of confession. O lover of the unlovely, it is your will that we should love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that we should love our enemies and our neighbors as ourselves. We confess to you that we are not sufficient for these things. By nature, there is no pure love in our souls, and every affection in us is turned away from you and others and toward ourselves. We are prisoners of our own lust and self-worship until you set us free. We fear and despise our enemies, hoping for their ruin and at times causing it. We break covenants with our friends carelessly and fail to keep the promises we have made. Father, forgive us for our many sins. Lord, thank you for your perfect son who loved his enemies even as he was punished for their sin and tortured in their place. He showed tender love to the most evil and ungrateful people, those who were just like us in every way. When Jesus sought refuge in you as he was dying, you looked away and allowed him to be utterly crushed by the mountain of our sins. He was stripped so that we might be clothed in his righteousness. He was wounded so that we might be healed. He was tormented so that we might be comforted. He was shamed so that we could inherit eternal glory. He entered darkness to be our light. He was made an enemy so that we could be your friends. Thank you for the cross and for our great salvation. Father, help us to become kind and merciful lovers of our friends and enemies. Open our eyes to your amazing love and generosity toward us until we are transformed into your image to love as you love. When we are sinned against, cause us to cherish your great mercy to us and then extend it freely to other wretched sinners like ourselves. May we always see ourselves accurately as helpless sinners in need of grace so that we never move beyond the cross so that we never move beyond the cross or consider ourselves better than our worst enemies. Thank you for loving us when we hated you and for abandoning your precious son to welcome us into your family forever. Amen. Hear these words from Romans 5, verses 8 through 10 as your assurance of pardon. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore now we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, how much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life? Amen and amen. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. This comes from the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, 
or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by working can add a single hour to his life or by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith, do not, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. As he said, the grass withers and the flowers fade. But as Isaiah said, the word of our Lord stands forever. Now is a time where we consider how we worship God through our tithes and the offerings. We have the baskets either in the front or the back, and also uh, the opportunity to mail your tithes and offerings in as well. And once again, thank you to everyone who has been diligent and faithful in providing and in their tithes and offerings. God above, we do give you all glory, honor, and praise to the God who is three in one, to the God who has provided so that we might live, so that we might have sufficient for what we need. We worship you by returning a portion as you have commanded. Lord, use this. May you be honored by it. May you be glorified by it. And may your gospel light spread throughout the the darkness of our world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please remain standing and and take the hymn book, How I Love Thy Law, O Lord, hymn number 253. 
Hopefully this is true of each of us. Hopefully this is a prayer that we can pray along with the psalmist from Psalm 119. How I love your law. So let us remain standing and profess through singing our love for God's law. Please be seated. We do, do join with the saints who have come before us and the saints who follow us in professing and proclaiming what it is that we believe. So Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Just a couple of prayer updates as we go to the Lord. Um, Roy Dodd is awaiting a call for some back surgery, uh, so hopefully that will be soon. Um, so pray for him and for Shelby. Also, um, Jonathan 
uh, has some back surgery scheduled for the 28th of this month. So please be praying for him. Um, Kermit, I talked to Kermit this week. Sounds like he's doing really well. and Hopefully Linda's keeping up with him too. Um, so continue to pray for his recovery. Also, please be praying for uh, General Synod. We have had to postpone the meeting of General Synod again. It is usually happens second week of June. It was postponed till the 18th of August and has now been moved to October um, 22nd and 23rd. So please be praying for that. We do have some very important business that we have to meet, um, specifically surrounding the retirement fund. Um, so please be praying for God's blessing upon the retirement fund and also for the ability to meet. Um, are there any other updates or prayer requests? We're glad Sadie's feeling better, so we thank God for that. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Lord and Father above, we do thank you for this opportunity to come to you, to lift our prayers and petitions to you. We're reminded of the Psalms, um, that many of them are prayers to you. We think of the times those psalmists bring their praises to you, and we thank you that Kermit is responding well to his healing and, and is on the mend. We thank you that and praise you that Sadie is feeling better and is on the mend as well. And we pray for both of them and ask that you continue to uh, walk with them through this healing and through this process. Be with their families as well as they seek to care for them. We think of the Psalms where you are praised merely for who you are, for your creative acts, as we read in Psalm 148, for your acts of steadfast love in preserving the Israelites um, during their time of slavery and during their time of Exodus, as we read of in Psalm 136. For the Psalms that praise you for your wisdom and remind us that you are a God who is wise, like Psalm 1. The Psalms that remind us that you are the sovereign king over all of creation and that all kings rule by your power and your authority and you will judge those who rule improperly, as we learn in Psalm 2. We think of the psalmist who bring their lament to you, those times where they suffer and where they feel abandoned by you and yet still retain their trust in you. As we think of laments, we lift up Tommy and Mike and Jim and Mariana and ask that you remind them that you are their God and they are your people and that they can rest in you and in your truth. We pray for those who are ailing, for Roy, for Jonathan, for Cohen, for Carol, and for all the others who are ailing. And we ask that you remind them that you are a God who heals and a God who can be trusted through, through these difficult times. And Lord, we're reminded by Psalm 119 that you are a God who has revealed himself to his people in his word. And that we should find comfort in all areas of our life during the difficult times, during the times of thanksgiving, during the times of joy and worship. We should turn to your word to be comforted, to be strengthened and to be guided. And so, Lord, thank you for revealing yourself to us throughout your word. Thank you for revealing yourself in so many different ways, whether it's in historical books, poetic books, 
prophetic books, biographies, letters, or even apocalyptic prophecy. We thank you for the revelation of your glory, for the revelation of your salvation that we find in the pages of the Bible. Help us to love to learn from it, to love to sit under its authority, and to love to learn more and more about you and how to live as we find in your word. So Lord, as we turn to that portion of our service now where your word is preached, I ask that you fill my voice, fill my words with your spirit. As I stand up here and seek to speak with a stammering tongue, I ask that you give power to my words, your power to my words as I try to speak your words and change the lives of your people through what is preached today so that we might seek you above all things. We pray all this in the name of our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please turn with me now to the book of Proverbs. We are in Proverbs chapter 10. And being in Proverbs chapter 10, the tone and flavor of the book of Proverbs is going to change, which will mean the tone and flavor of some of the sermons will change as well. In the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs, Solomon has introduced us to uh, wisdom and to the importance of wisdom over folly. We have seen his call to his son to pursue wisdom rather than folly. We will open up with that call again today in chapter 10. But chapter 10 introduces us to a shift to what we typically think of as the book of Proverbs. These little sayings that are one or two lines that that seem to be unrelated to each other. We will look at it in a much different way as we continue our way through the book of Proverbs. But we are going to begin to dive more and more into what we typically think of as Proverbs. And I want us to keep in mind as we begin to move into these last 22 chapters of the book of Proverbs, something I've told you before, something I will tell you again as we go through this. These are descriptive rather than prescriptive. What do I mean by that? Well, we have a tendency to look at the Proverbs Um, some of which uh, open up to us realities and benefits and rewards of wisdom. And we think, wow, God is promising me something in this proverb. But it's important for us to understand that these proverbs describe how life would be if wisdom always worked the way wisdom was supposed to, kind of in an unfallen world. But we don't live in an unfallen world, do we? We live in a fallen world, and we live in a world where God works sovereignly through the fallenness of this world to bring about blessing for his people. And so as we study these Proverbs, it's important for us to keep in mind the other two wisdom books as well. Job is one of the wisdom books. Many times throughout the book of Proverbs, we are going to hear, and today will be one of those days, we're going to hear about blessing that comes upon righteous and blameless people. What is the first thing we are told about Job in Job chapter 1? That he was righteous and blameless. And so things don't always work out. Sometimes God works his blessings through the Proverbs not working out the way they are supposed to, and we need to keep that in mind. 
The teacher in Ecclesiastes reminds us as well that sometimes we can pursue wisdom almost perfectly. And yet because we live in a fallen world, things don't always work out. But the most important thing is what we are that we are told at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes is what we are told at the beginning of the book of Proverbs is to fear the Lord and follow his commandments. And God will add eternal blessings to those who do those things. And so we need to keep that in mind as we read and study these Proverbs. One more thing before we dive into this book, and that is the structure of the rest of the book and the structure of the individual Proverbs specifically. If you will notice in most modern English translations, most of the Proverbs, you have one line that sits at the margin and then the next line or the next two lines, depending upon if it's a three-line Proverb or a two-line Proverb, is indented. And that's to show us the parallelism of Hebrew poetry. That indented line does something to fill or to explain the first line. So you have a wise son in verse 1. A wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish son brings grief to his mother. There's an antithetical filling there or completion of the thought. And the first uh, five or six chapters through chapter 15 are going to be mainly antithetical. They're going to be opposites that we see, which means that in those first six chapters, chapters 10 through 15, if we find a synthetic, one that is a positive relationship like we have in verse 10, he who winks maliciously causes grief and a chattering fool comes to ruin, even though there's negative consequences there, that is a positive relationship between the first line and second line. We need to look and see those things. But we'll look at this different poetic structure as we go through, but it will be important for us as we move through this. So now with that out of the way, let us read from Proverbs chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish son grief to his mother. Ill-gotten treasures are of no value, but righteousness delivers from death. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the cravings of the wicked. Lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. He who gathers crops in summer is a wise son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. Blessings crown the head of the righteous, but violence overwhelms the mouth of the wicked. The memory of the righteous will be a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. The wise in heart accept commands, but a chattering fool comes to ruin. The man of integrity walks securely, but he who takes crooked paths will be found out. He who winks maliciously causes grief, and a chattering fool comes to ruin. The mouth of, a righteous, of the righteous is a fountain of life, but violence overwhelms the mouth of the wicked. Hatred stirs up dissension, but love covers all wrongs. Wisdom is found on the lips of the discerning, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks judgment. Wise men store up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool invites ruin. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city, but poverty is the ruin of the poor. The wages of the righteous bring them life, but the income of the wicked brings them punishment. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we once again pray that you will change our lives through the reading of these Proverbs. 
Lead us to your glory. Speak to us through these words. Open our ears and our eyes so that we might see what you would have to teach us and change us by your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So as I mentioned this week, we are going to begin to dive into what we typically think of when we think of the book of Proverbs. We will have a list, a a litany of little pithy sayings that are meant and are written in such a way that can, they can be easily memorized and applied. But as we read through them, we have a tendency to not see any connection between them, to see them as a whole bunch of separate sayings. In fact, in this first section called the Proverbs of Solomon, which runs from chapter 10, verse 1, through chapter 22, verse 16, there are 375 sayings. And throughout the history of the church and even throughout much of my life, I have have been taught to look at these as 375 unrelated, separate sayings. But some modern scholarship, specifically by Bruce Waltke and other men who are far smarter than I, have begun, as they've studied the book of Proverbs, have begun to see patterns and groupings in here, things uh, gathered around key words, things separated by repetition in verses or separated by a shift from the different types of parallelism in the verses. And they have begun to see patterns in these. And that is how we are going to look at the rest of the book of Proverbs. Don't worry, we're not going to spend one week on each proverb and spend the rest of our lives in Proverbs. We will take this in chunks And we will hopefully begin to see the patterns, begin to see the relationships between the Proverbs. I do ask specifically right now, kind of as an aside, for prayer throughout the week. Specific prayer that as I study the book of Proverbs in a way that I've never really studied it before, that God would would help me see the patterns, help me uh, in a wise way be able to present those patterns to you in a way that is... um, easy for you to understand, and in a way that also gives you the tools to be able to begin to read through Proverbs and to begin to see some of these patterns for yourself so that in your own personal study you can begin to glean um, some of the truths that are there. Um, Because I am here to supplement your own personal study. I am here to teach you to study. I am not here to be your only source of Bible study. I am just part of your walk with God when it comes to study. And so today, the themes that show up, the keywords that show up, we have life show up twice in a section talking about words. And then we have in verse two, the fact that righteousness delivers from death. So that's a key for us there, that this is a section in and of itself from verses one through 16. We also have the interplay between joy and grief or disgrace that shows up throughout this section that shows us that this is a whole section that um, is meant to be taken as a single whole. And so today, as we consider those things, death, joy, disgrace, life, deliverance, um, in the area of wealth and words specifically, we are going to see that Solomon is teaching his son here that wisdom brings material 
and relational prosperity to God's people. First, material prosperity through wisdom. After a brief introduction where Solomon reminds his son of the joy that comes to one's parents through the pursuit of wisdom and the grief or disgrace that comes to one's parents through the pursuit of folly, Solomon begins a discourse in verses 2 through 5 on personal and communal prosperity or wealth is the term that's there. And it's important for us before we jump into these this area on wealth, on personal and communal wealth, to understand what wealth and prosperity means in the book of Proverbs. What do we think of when we see the words wealth and prosperity in the Bible? We have a tendency to think of people like Jeff Bezos or or Bill Gates who are extremely wealthy, who have far more than they could ever spend in their lifetime. And we think we, can, we have a tendency in our American culture to get excited over God's going to make me wealthy. And in fact, there's an entire segment of the American church that has built their theology on that idea. If I just have enough faith, if I just pray enough words, if I just follow the book of Proverbs and other books in just the right way, God will make me healthy and wealthy. It's not what Solomon's talking about here. Typically, prosperity and wealth in the book of Proverbs and throughout the Old Testament is the idea of sufficient. It's the idea of enough. Sometimes it's the idea of enough with a little bit of comfort. But it's not the extreme wealth, typically, that we expect, that we associate with the words prosperity and wealth. Now, God did during this time and continues to choose to bless people his people, some of his people with large amounts of wealth and prosperity. But typically when we read wealth and prosperity, we need to carry with it the idea of sufficiency, of enough. And I think we forget how God provides for us enough oftentimes and we forget to pray for that. So then Solomon begins to talk about the communal and personal effects of getting and using wealth in a wise way. When it comes to material prosperity, he does spend most of his time on the personal aspects of that. And the first personal effect that we see through wealth, we see in verse 3, which has to do with our desires. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, or literally it says the Lord satisfies the desires of the righteous but he thwarts the cravings of the wicked. Now we have to keep this in mind with the rest of Scripture that tells us that our desires oftentimes are sinful. We remember James 4, what causes fights and quarrels among you. It's our sinful desires as we seek to work them out, and it's our envy for other people. And so we should pray for sanctified desires and to be reminded that when we desire what God desires that he will satisfy those things. He will satisfy those desires. We can pursue profit. We can pursue wealth and comfort for his glory if we remember to pursue his desires rather than ours. But look at the flip side of that. It's, a, it's an antithetical proverb. The flip side of that is that he thwarts the craving of the wicked. 
Literally, he pushes off the desires of the wicked. He thrusts those desires away from himself and away from the person. We keep in mind that sometimes we see this. Sometimes we have to wait for the judgment of the Lord to see this uh, eternally. But God crushes the cravings of the wicked. The other personal effect of wealth involves the acquisition of wealth and prosperity in relationship to shame and honor. Look at verses four and five. Lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. He who gathers crops in summer is a wise son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgrace. A wise industry, a wise pursuit of making a living is met by God with wealth and wisdom. Diligent hands bring wealth. How many of us are diligent in our work? How many of us are known in our workplace for how well we work or for our diligence? And he who gathers crops in summer is a wise son. Wealth and wisdom come to those who work diligently. But look at what comes to those who do not pursue wealth and wisdom. Lazy hands make a man poor or destitute. The word there for poor and poverty later on, another linking in this section means destitute or totally without any hope of providing for himself. But he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. We've already seen this earlier in the book of Proverbs when we talked about the sluggard in chapter 6. Solomon has introduced us to the one who fritters away his time and finds himself destitute and without hope of help. So personally, diligence and industry bring wealth and wisdom, while laziness brings poverty and disgrace. And we also see the link there to Solomon's introduction. A wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish son disgrace to his mother as we see that laziness brings disgrace upon the person himself. And the communal aspects or use of wealth. Life comes to the community through the charitable use of wealth. We see this in verse 2. Ill-gotten treasures are of no value, but righteousness delivers from death. Righteousness is a word that we have a very narrow view of and we forget its original meaning sometimes. What do we think of when we think of righteous? We think of somebody who follows God's law. We think of somebody who keeps God's commands. But righteousness also had a community or relational aspect to it. It meant people who are not only in right relationship to God's law, but are in a right relationship to each other. How does wealth bring life to a community that is in right relationship with each other? We've learned in Sunday school over the last few weeks that God considers true religion to be the religion that takes care of the fatherless and the widow. Think of Acts chapter 4, when the people had all things in common. Barnabas, the son of encouragement, sold a field so that he could take care of the people in the church. And this word that is translated righteousness here in later Jewish writing is actually translated charitable giving. Wealth, prosperity within the church is to be used to take care of each other when needs arise. 
How do we look at what God gives to us? Do we look at it as ours? Do we take the idea that get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the lid? Or are we in a state of righteousness with our brothers and sisters in Christ? The first part of verse 2 says that ill-gotten treasures, those treasures that we hoard, those treasures that we seek for our own personal righteousness and security, are worthless. What has God given you? What does God expect you to do with what God has given you that delivers brothers and sisters from death? And our problem with wealth in our world and sometimes in the church is expounded for us in verse 15. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. We're going to see in a few moments that it's integrity. It's a right use of words and knowledge in our life that brings us security. But for people with a bad view of wealth, it is their wealth that is their security and their fortified city. How many people do you know that that say they don't have any problems because they have enough money? Well, like the song, the pop song said several years ago, more money, more problems. Wealth is a fickle security. It is a security that can be wiped out in a heartbeat. How many pensions have been wiped out because stock markets have fallen or because businesses have gone out of business? But the poor have the same problem with their view of wealth. Poverty is the ruin of the poor. Had a seminary professor said that, you know, what is the biggest idol of the rich? It's money, it's possessions. What's the biggest idol of the poor? It's money. It's possessions and their poverty as they pursue wealth for wealth's sake will bring them to ruin, will bring them to disgrace as well. And so we must pursue a right use of wealth and a right acquisition of wealth. And the right use of wealth is to glorify God and the right acquisition of it is to pursue it diligently And in a way that glorifies God. So then Solomon shifts in the middle section here to the fact that relational prosperity comes through wisdom as well as he deals with a series on words in verses 6 through 14. And he does the same thing here. He deals with communal and also with personal effects of communication. We're actually going to deal with that in the opposite Order. We're going to deal with the personal effects first and then the communal effects. The personal effects, which begin to be hinted at in the negative in verse 10, where the chattering fool comes to ruin. The first one is that there is the blessing of legacy. One of my seminary professors also said that men pursue legacy above all things. Men want to be remembered. And Solomon says that legacy comes through the right pursuit of knowledge and wisdom of the right words. And we see this in the first part of verse 6 and the second part of verse 7. Blessings crown the head of the righteous. Excuse me, the first part of verse 7. And the memory of the righteous will be a blessing. Blessing is the key word in this. And the knowledge that we receive through wisdom and the pursuit of God's commands 
will make our memory a blessing to others. Whether it's the memory of the words that we speak or it's just the memory of our name. Those who are wise, those who pursue wisdom, those who pursue the fear of God will be remembered well. They will have a legacy that lasts for eternity as they shape generations that follow them. But on the flip side of that, pursuit of folly leads to the violence of being forgotten. The name of the wicked will rot and violence overwhelms the mouth of the wicked. As the wicked pursue their own means, their own glory, their own agenda. Either they will cover and conceal violence or violence will overwhelm them. It could be translated the same either way. And their legacy is that they will be forgotten. That they will not be remembered any longer. The third personal effect of the pursuit of wisdom is the security of obedience. The wise in heart accept commands and the man of integrity walks securely. The idea of accepting commands brings with it the idea of pursuing more and more wisdom, more and more holiness in God and understanding that we don't know all that we should know. There's a teachability in there, which will also have communal effects effects that we'll see here in a few moments. But in the pursuit of those commands and the pursuit of obedience and the pursuit of righteousness brings integrity and security. Sometimes the man of integrity does not seem to be secure because people who stand up for the right things in the workplace or in their culture seem to fall, seem to be attacked, seem to be persecuted. But we walk securely with God when we pursue righteousness, when we pursue obedience, when we pursue wisdom. The fourth personal effect is the flip side of that is that there is exposure and ruin of pride. Verse eight, a chattering fool comes to ruin, but he who takes crooked paths, the second half of verse nine, but he who takes crooked paths will be found out. When we pursue folly, when we pursue our own agenda, We become chattering fools. We talk just to hear ourselves talk. We talk because we think we're important and we know things. We talk because we are full of pride and we feel like people should listen to us simply because we are talking. Remember, when E.F. Hutton talks, everybody listens. That's how we feel about our own words. But it leads to disgrace. It leads to ruin. And when we are found out to be charlatans and fakes, we will be seen to be crooked and full of disgrace. Then there are also four communal effects of communication. And it's hinted at in the first part of verse 10, where it says, he who winks maliciously causes grief. That idea of winking maliciously is something we've seen before, and it's the idea of signaling deceitfully or tricking people through uh, mannerisms and words and looks. And the first effect is that life comes through reconciliation. We see in verse 11 and 12, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. In the second half of verse 12, love covers all wrongs. 
You ever been around that person that just the words they use, the advice they give, the wisdom they share just brings life to your soul, life to your heart, brings joy into your very own life. And those words also lead us to love others in a way that covers all wrongs. There are offenses that happen against us that can just be forgiven in love and never have to be dealt with. Love covers wrong. But we also have to keep in tension tension with that, the truth and the reality that Scripture also calls us to call out our brothers and sisters who are in sin to confront and correct them. Jesus gives us a process of discipline, a process of reconciliation in Matthew 18. James tells us to rescue the wandering, the wayfaring brother so that his sin may be covered by love. But when we do those things to confront and correct, we should do so in loving way that brings life, that brings joy, that brings healing to the situation. But the flip side of that is the other effect of the improper pursuit of knowledge and wisdom is that dissension comes through hidden hatred. Why the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, the mouth of the wicked is violent and is full of hatred that stirs up dissension. We all know that person too. But it seems like every time they talk, they're trying to add division into whatever body they're in. They're trying to either make themselves look better by looking, making other people look bad, or they are just love to sow discord and dissension. C.S. Lewis deals with this in his essay, The Inner Circle. Every organization has an inner circle. Think of the disciples of Jesus. You had 120 people who followed him. You had 12 special friends. You had three extra special close friends with Jesus. And in every organization where there is that inner circle, everybody that's out of it wants to be in it. And what's the easiest way to get into that inner circle? It's to make somebody in that inner circle look bad enough that they're kicked out so you can take their spot. Hatred breeds dissension within the people of God. And so the unwise pursuit of knowledge, the unwise pursuit of wisdom leads to dissension. Wise instruction comes to the community through teachability. I can stand up here and preach every Sunday for the rest of my life. But if you are not teachable and willing to learn, it will bring no prosperity, no wisdom to you whatsoever. And so wise instruction comes through the ability to be teachable. The ability to understand what you don't know and what you need to know. Verse 13, wisdom is found on the lips of the discerning and wise men store up knowledge. The beginning of verse 14. We seek to be teachable. We seek to gather more knowledge. We seek to understand where we are lacking and to fill that lacking with God's wisdom. But correction and rebuke come to the community through foolish words. Verse 13 But a rod is for the back of him who lacks judgment, and the mouth of the fool invites ruin. If we are unwilling to be teachable, if we are unwilling to pursue God's wisdom, God will judge his church. God will judge his people when we are unwilling to listen to his correction and to his rebuke.
And we wrap up with verse 16. The wages of the righteous bring them life, but the income of the wicked brings them punishment. And this reminds us of the reality that Solomon has taught us throughout the first nine chapters. That when it comes to wisdom, when it comes to folly, the choice between the two is a matter of life and death. The first two words of verse 3, the Lord, remind us of what was taught to us in chapter 1 and chapter 9, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is not just Solomon trying to teach his son how to be a good man. This is God teaching His people righteousness. Those who pursue wisdom are paid with life. Those who pursue folly earn for themselves death. Or as Paul said in Romans chapter 6, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Wisdom and folly is a gospel matter. It is an eternal matter. And as we pursue wisdom, we change our own life. And as we each pursue wisdom, we change the community life as well. We begin to desire to want to pursue the prosperity that God's promised in a way that glorifies Him and then to use that prosperity in a way that glorifies Him. And we desire to seek knowledge in a way that glorifies Him and affirms His truth and His wisdom. And we seek to grow the community through that as well. God calls each and every one of us to choose and to pursue. Will we pursue in a way that brings life to ourselves and to the community or in a way that brings death? Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you for the words of wisdom that you have given to us. I thank you that your Holy Spirit is alive and active in them. And I thank you for meeting us here today to teach us to pursue wisdom in your glory so that we might grow as individuals and so that we might grow as a community. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn today comes from the hymn book, hymn number 267. Jesus is tenderly calling thee home. So let us stand and sing hymn 267. Jesus is tenderly calling thee home.
As you go this week, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Thank you.